How's it going, Night fans? Happy Bull Week. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. Eric, have you gone bowling yet this week? I am about ready to go bowling, my friend. I'm ready. I, I'm not, but I am eager to start. It's Bull Week here in Orlando, and for the first time, UCF playing in a bowl game at home in the AutoNation Cure Bowl against the Arkansas State Red Wolves. And we've got that and plenty more on tap on our podcast this week. In addition, we'll look at uh, uh, what's been going on in the uh, – we'll be previewing, actually, the game with Danielle uh, Jenkins, who uh, covers the Sun Belt Conference. Uh, great interview with her checking in on you know what to expect from Arkansas State, how their season has gone. Uh, we'll also take a look at what's been going on around the American in terms of all the coaching changes. Willie Taggart leaving the American and USF heading to Oregon and some big-name coaches coming into not just the American – but also the state of Florida in general. We'll riff on that a little bit. And then we'll also chat up uh, some basketball as we head into the uh, winter break. But football is it, and we're going to start with that, Eric Lopez. And uh, don't forget, folks, you can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. And follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. You can also look us up at blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the uh, latest on our podcast and occasional uh, features as well. And then we'll also, you can also hit us up uh, as well on Facebook as well. Just look up Black and Gold Banneret. All right, Eric, here we go. December 17th, just a few days away now. Uh, UCF and Arkansas State, the Knights back in a bowl game, facing a team that actually finished one game better than them uh, in terms of the overall standings at Arkansas State. The co Sun Belt champions at 7 and 5. The Red Wolves coming into town to face UCF in what is this? Basically a home game for UCF, their first game in the. Well, Camping World Stadium, yeah, but basically their first game in the old Citrus Bowl since uh, the 2006 season, and it will be a special occasion with the AutoNation Cure Bowl. Of course, we have went over it last in last week's show. We had Alan Gooch on, who's you know, obviously longtime uh, connected to the UCF program, who's now the CEO of the Cure Bowl, and uh, an exciting time for the guys running this game, and uh, an exciting time for UCF, and uh, you know, now that we're you know, just a couple of days away, and this matchup has sort of uh, uh, has taken root. You know, the more we think about this Arkansas State team, Eric, the more I start getting worried. They're a good football team. Uh, I, I, I've been trying to tell people, you know, don't laugh. This is a good team out of the Sun Belt. They, they've won seven of their last eight, all of them in conference. Uh, their defense has been getting better progressively throughout the year. And, uh, and they're at the, over the last really – Six, seven years, this has been a pretty good program so far. I mean, are you as concerned as I am about this, that it could go sideways in a hurry if we're not careful? Yeah, I'm concerned from a different perspective, and I always go to Vegas. And this number for UCF and Arkansas State started at about six and a half, six, depending where you're looking. And it's kind of stayed that way. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. like people are jumping on UCF to, you know, two, three points or – Either way, so it tells you that uh, people think this will be a close game. Well, not- I, I'm looking at the numbers right now. You'd be interested yeah. to see this. I'm looking at Odd Shark, yeah, and the number has actually dipped a little bit. It's yeah, gone down okay. to five and a half. Yeah, uh, UCF is fascinating. Uh, yeah, UCF favored by five and a half. Here's the number that really uh, that really interested me. Last week, I looked at the early betting numbers in Vegas. 60% of the early money in the first 72 hours was on Arkansas State. Wow. 60%. So that tells me that Vegas thinks that the Red Wolves here are undervalued in this game. 
Well, they know something, and you know. You keep in mind, and this is kind of the rule of thumb, and when and when you when you look at football spreads, uh, usually the home team gets three points automatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so if the home team is worth. That's the the theory. That if it's an even game, if the home team is fit, you know, they'll give three points as the favorite to the home team. In other words, now I know this is quote unquote a neutral game, but let's be honest. This game's in Orlando. Obviously, it's in UCF's backyard. So that's why I thought the spread would be bigger. So really, I have to believe that Vegas obviously takes that into account. If you're telling me it's five and a half, maybe if this game was played in a neutral field, it'd probably be a two and a half, three point spread if you take away the three points based on home field. So that's what interests me and concerns me a little bit. I think, yeah, I think Arkansas State is kind of getting uh, the short stick, right? It's kind of interesting. You know, I think UCF fans, we always feel like we're disrespected when we're playing a power five school and we're playing a, a big time opponent and we're an underdog and oh, they don't respect us. And I feel like it's the other way around here. Right. Like, I don't know if the fan base respects Arkansas State. No, but I don't really, think they do. And yet you look at the Sun Belt League again. It's ironic, right? It's kind of a, you know, the Sun Belt has some quality programs. Appalachian State should have beaten Tennessee opening night of the college football season. Georgia Southern. Troy. Yeah. Georgia Southern. Tyson Summers there. Troy uh, gave Clemson all they can handle in Death Valley. So these teams have athletes. These teams can play. And Arkansas State, you know, the Cure Bowl is a big bowl game for the Sun Belt. They're going to be excited to play. And I think they're going to enjoy being the underdog. Uh, and I think that's, yeah. So, to you know, I think there are concerns. There's concerns of what if this offense struggles like it did towards the end of the year? Yeah. Uh, you may have to be dependent on your defense. You might be all of a sudden you're in the fourth quarter and it's a three, six point game. And you're like, you're like, wow, this could be a tight game. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely have caution to win. It reminds me of another game and it's a game you were a part of. And that was the St. People against uh, when UCF played Rutgers. Yep. And, and you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. A lot of UCF fans went to St. Pete. Everybody was excited. Everybody's like, oh, it's going to be like a de facto UCF home game. This will be no problem. Who's Rutgers? Rutgers ain't anything that great. And what happened was Rutgers was very physical in the line of scrimmage and beat UCF that day. Obviously, Greg Schiano was the head coach. They had future NFL players like Mohamed Sanu, who uh, is an NFL receiver now with the Atlanta Falcons and was with the Cincinnati Bengals for a long time. Uh, I believe Devin McCourty, who's the uh, with the Patriots, was on that team, too. So my point is, I, I think we get comfortable because, oh, it's a home game. It's in our backyard and this or that. And as that game against Rutgers proved, that doesn't guarantee you anything. And I think that's important for the players. And I think the coaching staff will make sure they know this. But it's important that the players don't treat this just like, oh, well, we're here at home. And, you know, it's a pretty easy, comfortable thing. Yeah. One of the things I'm looking at, you know, obviously I'm – you know, looking at the Vegas numbers, too. I got a couple nuggets for you, Eric. Here we go. Arkansas State, 7-1 and one straight up, 6-2 and two against the spread in their last eight. UCF, 7-3 and three against the number in their last 10. But bear in mind that Arkansas's quarter, Arkansas State's quarterback, Justice Hansen, touched upon him a little bit last week. Sophomore, big kid. He's figuring it out. He's thrown for 10 touchdowns, two picks in the last six games. Arkansas State's 23rd in the country in average yards per catch uh, among teams with 200-plus receptions. So their, their offense is built on explosiveness, uh, and they figured it out, as uh, Danielle Jenkins is going to tell us here in a little bit. 
and their defense has been very good. They've, got to, they've kind of been like us a little bit, and that the, the defense has kind of carried the weight. But the difference is their offense has really gotten better over the course of the uh, over the course of the season, where I think we've maybe taken a few steps back. Um, they got two great defensive ends, Chris Odom and Javon Rollin Jones, um, and they've combined for 35 tackles for loss and 23 and a half sacks. Uh, if we're not careful, they're going to have a field day in our backfield against uh, uh, Mackenzie Milton. And this is one thing that I got a little bit concerned about uh, with UCF. So the total has gone under in six of UCF's last seven. And if it goes under in this matchup, the over-under is, uh, is 50. That's going to bode well for Arkansas State, uh, in my opinion. So uh, UCF, this is the number that really freaked me out. The Knights have lost their past 10 games against teams with winning records. Arkansas State's got a winning record. So we feasted on competition. We're right at 500. We feasted on competition that we should, and we haven't uh, gone up in competition just yet. So um, I'm a little concerned about this, and you know, combine that with the fact that this is a, a team in the Sun Belt that's been getting hot down the stretch, that's not afraid of playing, playing up against a team like UCF, um, this could be a long night if we're if we don't co- if uh, UCF doesn't come um, ready to play. Uh, 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 I'm looking at a couple of places here. Uh, Campus Insiders tends to favor Arkansas State. Uh, they say that it's a, they, they actually think that UCF is going to lose the game to Arkansas State, 28 to 24 is their score prediction. Uh, SB Nation says that they're. Um, that they're that the smart pick is going to be Arkansas State plus the five and a half. Um, you know, everywhere I'm looking, man, this is like, oh boy, we we need to we need to bring it here. This game is not rated very high in terms of watchability, but I think actually it should be a pretty good football game uh, between two pretty aggressive, uh, you know, pretty good teams that are kind of uh, I think have kind of converged in terms of their directions for the season. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting game. Obviously, I think what everybody wants to see is how does UCF's offense look? They've gotten off to fast starts and then kind of stutter a little bit. They're not going to be able to afford to do that, I think, on Saturday. So can they maneuver and be consistent on offense? And then you brought up an interesting point. You know, Arkansas State has some playmakers uh, passing games. So I think it's going to be a key for UCF to get off to a good start and get the lead early and maybe go up a score or two and then dominate the line of scrimmage and run the football like they did earlier this year. And I think that'll be a couple of the keys to watch in this football game. Because if Arkansas State hangs around and it's a three- to six-point game going towards the second half, they're going to be very excited and feel they can win this game. And they're going to be confident. They're playing very good football down the stretch. And uh, they got some athletes, and I think that we cannot underestimate that. And, uh, you know, that's what happens in these type of bowl games. You don't know what the emotions will be like for each of these players. And uh, you know Arkansas State will be ready to play. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think it'll be an interesting game. I think a lot more interesting than I think people think. And uh, you're right. This would not be surprising to me if we're in the fourth quarter and we're sitting next to each other in the press box. And we're like, wow, this, just have been, uh, this has been a very good football game. Yeah, Scott Frost knows that, too. Here's Scott uh, uh, this week talking about the Red Wolves. They've had a really good season. Uh, they started out slow and really came on. Um, played really well in their conference, uh, in the games that they played in conference. It's a team that's been improving all year, uh, and I'm impressed with, impressed with what the coaches have done and what the players have accomplished. 
And you're there it is, Scott Frost. He respects Arkansas State, but many don't. And maybe part of that is because of the Sun Belt. Well, we've got a person that knows the Sun Belt very well. My good friend Danielle Jenkins. Yeah, the Fun Belt Conference. That's right. That's what they like to call herself. She's covered that league for now going on three seasons. She's, a, in fact, as she'll tell us, she is a graduate of one of the schools in the conference. She's covered media days for the Sun Belt. She's covered Sun Belt football and basketball. And uh, as a part of a little bit of a Central Florida sports history that I had the privilege of sharing with her uh, in our past uh, careers, uh, which we'll share. But uh, here is Danielle Jenkins coming talking about Arkansas State. And joining us now here on the podcast, of course, person who has covered the Sun Belt, has covered Sun Belt Media Days for now the last three seasons, covers Sun Belt football and, of course, basketball. Uh, a friend of mine's long time. We used to uh, work, in fact, uh, part of a little Central Florida history. Of course, I speak of our guest now, Danielle Jenkins. How are you doing, Danielle? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Now, for those that don't know Jeff, uh, me and Danielle worked together a few years ago, and Danielle, I'll let you tell the story. We were the Florida Collegiate Summer League. We both did play-by-play, and we got to call the last sporting event that was ever held at Tinkerfield. Yeah, it was crazy. We got to work together with the Florida Collegiate Summer League that year. I served as an intern, and, of course, you were working with the Orlando Monarchs and had the opportunity to call the final game there, working in the uh, playoffs for the Florida Collegiate Summer League. It was the Orlando Monarchs taking on the Winter Park Diamond Dogs, and, man, what a game it was. I think it was one of the craziest baseball games I've ever been to in my entire life. I don't think there's one that can top that one. I feel like we had about 30 runs in that game and saw just about anything that you could imagine. Yeah, there yeah, was, was like, a good there was way. A, there was a dust up in that game, if I'm not mistaken, too, Danny. You guys had a little bit of everything, so Tinkerfield went out with a blast, huh? Hey, I mean, it was it was everything and more that you could have wanted for a playoff game with the intensity and just a really fitting in for uh, the finale there at the field. Yes, it was, and uh, here we are now. This Saturday, I'm going to be around that area. For the bowl game now, it's now known as Campy World Stadium. There is no more Tinkerfield, but there will be a football game. UCF's back there, and the opponent is one you know very well, Arkansas State, a team that's played very well and coming in as the co-Sun Belt champions. What can you tell us about Arkansas State? Well, guys, it was almost surprising to see the turnaround that they made this season. As you know, they, they started 0-4 to begin the year. It was the four games that they played out of conference before they started just a complete sunbelt stretch to end the year. But the way they started, it, it looked like it was going to be tough to pull out a victory at all. I mean, it was a rough start to the season, certainly not what head coach Blake Anderson was looking for from his team. But then they almost went undefeated in conference play after that 0-4 start, went 7-1 and to end the season. Um, had that slip up against Louisiana Lafayette, but were able to hold on and be co-Sunbelt champions with Appalachian State. Of course, with that um, Sunbelt Conference championship game coming in the future, there is no championship game at this point. So co-champions right now, but it's their fifth Sunbelt championship in six years and and really a successful program um, all the way around. They've got success um, across the board, not just football. Basketball is doing well as well in both the men and the women. So um, a successful uh, season out there in Jonesboro despite the rough start. Danielle, UCF comes into this game at six and six. Arkansas State's the only team here that's above five hundred at seven and five. And um, you know, so far UCF, like we've seen, you know, throughout the year, they've been riding the defense, um, which seems may seem like a little bit of a surprise with Scott Frost at the helm. But the defense has been great for the Knights. So, 
What sort of a threat are they facing from the Arkansas State offense in this bowl game? Well, of course, uh, Blake Anderson stepped away from his offensive coordinator position at the University of North Carolina when he came on to the scene there at Arkansas State, was hired in December of 2013. So he is an offensive-minded guy, but that was really where a lot of their struggles came early on in the season because they didn't have a quarterback. They didn't know who they were going with. It it was a bit of a a toss-up there as to who they were going to have. They didn't really have that chemistry. So once they finally got it together is when it really all started clicking with that first victory in conference play. I believe it was a one-point victory and and really just a close call, but started getting the ball rolling and really figured it out. Um, Both Chad Wojtek and Justin Hansen split time at quarterback. They went toward Hansen there finally when they settled in and they had 27 players who competed in their first career game for them this season, including nine starters. Both of those quarterbacks had their first game this year. So chemistry really a big deal in the beginning part of the season. They finally got that figured out. And of course, I mean, with any team, once you've got that and, and you're all on the same page and you get the ball rolling, um, then it was just, it, it all started clicking and they really were able to, to get a lot accomplished and have a great strong finish to the end of the season. You mentioned Blake Anderson. Uh, for a change, Arkansas State's had a coach now for multiple seasons. For a while there, it was kind of the one-and-done place. Hugh Freeze coached there for a year in 2011. Gus Malzone coached in 2012 for a year before uh, going back to Auburn. Brian Hartson coached there for a year in 2013. Then he left for Boise State. He's now finishing up in his third season. Rumors came about during the last few weeks about him at the Baylor job. What can you tell us about Blake Anderson? What makes him tick? Well, yes, I think that had a lot to do with the success that, that they've had is just having that consistency. Um, I had the opportunity to speak with them during media day. They have a, an event the night before the actual media day takes place where all the media members are just hanging out with the coaches and the players. Kind of a different dynamic just because you aren't on the spotlight. You're not asking them questions. You're just getting to see them as people. And so I had the opportunity to hang out with them. We actually bowled a game together. They had us um, at a, a little alley where we had some bowling opportunities, play pool, all this kind of stuff. So got to see them out of their element and just hang out with them. And it's interesting to see the dynamic that Anderson has brought to this team. Well, not just with that consistency, but he's relatable for these guys, but he's also respected. So um, he really brings an interesting dynamic to them because he's a younger guy. He, he really gets the guys and, and connects with them on their level and is relatable, like I said, but he's also very well respected and he's getting the job done. And um, he recently said that now the guys know he cares about them more than just on the football side of things. That's something that takes time and that consistency and continuity of being there for now this third season after having so much turnover there in that position has really led to a lot of the success and just building on the success this program already had, obviously with their fifth conference championship in the last six years. Danielle, when I, you know, Coach Anderson gets a lot of credit in, you know, being an offensive guy, but I feel like sometimes, you know, looking at the numbers, I think, you know, kind of like UCF, this uh, Red Wolf team defense has been uh, has been kind of flying under the radar, especially as they've come down the down the pike in the Sun Belt uh, Conference season. Uh, you know they've they've given up uh, aside from the loss, they've given up uh, under twenty points in uh, four, in five of their conference games this year. And uh, and I look at their third down percentage defense at thirty seven percent. That's forty first in the nation. Now that's nothing to sneeze at in particular. So. Uh, on defense, you know, I, I'm a, as a as someone who covers the Knights and isn't, you know, I'll be honest, a Knight fan. Um, 
you know, that kind of has me a little bit worried considering that UCF is putting a true freshman quarterback out there once again. So how good has the defense been this year in this late run in the Sun Belt, uh, in the Sun Belt Conference where they've won seven of eight? Well, I think one of the biggest keys to, to point out is their victory over Troy. And, and that one hurts for me, guys, because I, I am a Trojan alum, and <laughs> I, that's the one game that I watched of theirs all the way through this year, um, obviously for personal reasons, but it was absolutely phenomenal watching their defense at work because, uh, I mean, a 35-3 to victory, it was a victory over what was then a top 25 team, the only top 25 team they played um, at that point um, when they were playing them this season. It's just their second victory over a top 25 team since they joined the FBS back in 1992, and what an impressive victory it was. Now, the next week, they ended up slipping up and, and lost to Louisiana Lafayette. But again, it was a close game. Um, that close loss again uh, from back at the beginning of the season, that last loss that they had in that out-of-conference game was to FCS Central Arkansas. And that really was a turning point for them because, I mean, they, they were talking in the locker room that it, it was just quiet. They couldn't believe it. They were stunned. This is a team that's been winning conference championships, and all of a sudden you lose to an in-state FCS team, and no one thought it would happen. Well, that kind of turned things around and really got this team together. I mentioned they were really waiting for that moment when they all clicked and when it all came together, and it really seems like after that really close loss, it really brought them together. But that defense has been phenomenal throughout the year. They've, they've done really well down the stretch, as you mentioned, um, as they've only given up, I think it was the 24 points that they gave up to Louisiana Lafayette was the most that they'd given up since like way back in the beginning of the season when they gave up 27 to Georgia Southern, that yeah. first victory of the year. So, I mean, once they got the offense really rolling, it was the defense that was carrying them, but they needed some offensive production to just kind of, sealed the deal, and, and once that got all together, man, they almost looked unstoppable. Now, you mentioned Troy, uh, and that's a good segue, because I want to ask you about the Sun Belt, the conference. Uh, and I think maybe doesn't get the respect nationally that maybe the people in the Sun Belt believes it deserves, and, and there's some valid points to that. Uh, you, Troy gave Clemson all they can handle uh, earlier this year at Death Valley. Could have easily won that game. Uh, you have teams like, for example, in the Sun Belt, Louisiana Lafayette's had a good program. Appalachian State outplay Tennessee this year in Knoxville. Uh, they've had a tremendous program. They just move into the Sun Belt. Georgia Southern, uh, a lot of people down here have followed them closely uh, due to the connection with Tyson Summers in his first year as head coach. Of course, was a defensive coordinator at UCF. Just give us, give us your thoughts on the Sun Belt as a league as a whole. Well, they don't call it the fun belt for nothing, guys. It really is a fun league to watch because you mentioned there's a lot of teams that are that are right there in the mix. I mean, even Idaho, a team that has been uh, one of the, the bottom teams in the league, had a great year this year, went 8-4 and four overall, one of their best seasons in recent history. They won their last four straight, uh, which is the longest streak in the conference. And you mentioned Appalachian State. I mean, right there at the top with Arkansas State for that co-championship. Um, Appalachian State going back to another bowl game this year, heading to Montgomery for the Camellia Bowl. It's just it's been impressive to watch these teams succeed. Uh, Troy, I mean, that one broke my heart, especially that Clemson game. Eric, that is that's a touchy subject for me because I watched it <laughs> and I'm I'm telling you, I believe that was a fumble, but but we'll go ahead and skip past that. But it, it, it was really impressive to watch all of these teams with a lot of success this year. 
Um, and it's going to be interesting when it gets to the point that there is a conference championship game here and uh, get the chance to see Appalachian State and Arkansas State where this year they didn't see each other, so they didn't play on the field. So we've got that co-championship. It'd be interesting to see who would win that matchup. So in the years to come, that's going to be a fun one to watch. You know, it should be noted, Danielle, also that uh, a little bit of trivia for you, UCF actually was in the Sun Belt Conference from 1991 all the way until 1992 uh, as, a, <laughs> as a member of the league. And, uh, uh, and actually, in 1991, did play Arkansas State in the only matchup ever between uh, these, two, these two teams. But uh, the program in Jonesboro in general, I, I've always looked at them as a real example of success. You know, it, I mean... It's easy for us to say, yeah, well, they're kind of, you know, they're a low FBS level team being in the Sun Belt. Okay, fine. But they've won the league uh, multiple times in the last several years. They've been to bowl games uh, in uh, every year since 2011. I think they've won, what, four Sun Belt championships in the last uh, in the last five years. This is a this is a pretty good program with a pretty good historical track record. It's just you don't hear about it because they're in the power because they're not, you know, a power five team. So. Uh, it, 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 they've kind of been there and done that, and they're not afraid to play teams like UCF, are they? No, I mean, this This is a team that doesn't shy away from competition. I mean, this is a team that is excited, and I think a lot of it with the success there has to do with just the support around the program. They may not get the um, the coverage or the notoriety, but if you go to Jonesboro, I've had the opportunity to go once before for a sideline job uh, when Arkansas State was was playing at home. And being there in Jonesboro, I mean, that town is incredible. It's it's interesting to, to note that, I mean, obviously UCF has the, the big home field advantage here. It'll be interesting to see how that, that plays out with the home advantage being there in the hometown. But um, the Red Wolves are no stranger to the hometown advantage because Jonesboro definitely does that for them. I'm not sure how the crowd will travel um, to Orlando, but Red Wolf fans are rowdy and they take it seriously with school spirit. I mean, they paint the town red. When you go there, it's hard to um, not catch the, the fever and catch the buzz because it's just, it's, it's contagious. It's fun seeing the entire town painted red supporting the Red Wolves. So um, they really have had a lot of success there, and I think a lot of that has to do with just the support around the program. Yeah, I'm with you because I, I for one, think that UCF fans need to bring it to this game. I mean, no excuses because it's basically a home game because if they don't, you know, it could be, you know, it could get out a little bit out of hand. And if the Arkansas State fans travel well, this could be a really interesting atmosphere. Absolutely. I think it has a lot of potential to be a really good matchup. Um, and then also, obviously, crowd is always a factor. So we'll see who gets that advantage. Obviously, uh, right now, the advantage on paper, clearly going to UCF. But, you know, it, ne- it never plays out how you think sometimes. So we'll see how it, how it comes down on the field. Plus, this bowl game is important for not only Arkansas State, but for the Sun Belt. Uh, Danielle, right? I mean, I, I think when you think of the Sun Belt, I know the New Orleans Bowl has always been an important bowl game for that conference as well. But I think the Cure Bowl, uh, and you talk to the people in the Sun Belt, this is an important bowl game. And the fact that the co-champions are here says that, doesn't it? 
absolutely. They have so many bowl tie-ins now. It's it's really incredible to see just the growth that the league itself has had, um, sending six teams to bowl games this year. Um, obviously, the Camellia Bowl, which I mentioned earlier, uh, which is in Montgomery, the Cure Bowl here, um, even the, the Idaho Potato Bowl. I mean, everyone... You hear about it just because it's the Idaho Potato Bowl, but Idaho is in the game, which it makes sense. It's a hometown team. They had a great season, put them in a bowl game um, and put them right there at home, which gives them the advantage there. Um, you mentioned the New Orleans Bowl. That's always been a big tie in with the Sun Belt itself based in New Orleans. They're inside the Superdome. Um, really interesting dynamic getting to go down to Media Day, be in the Superdome um, with the Raging Cajuns going back from Louisiana Lafayette. They've been there several times in the past it's always fun to talk with coach mark cudspeth about the advantage being there um, in new orleans always fun to talk to him at media day about coming back because he's had so much success there um, and then also the arizona bowl which was added in this year and then the dollar general bowl my trojans heading down to mobile to to play there at lad people stadium so six bowl games for the Sun Belt and, of course, this Cure Bowl getting one of the co-champions there in the Arkansas State Red Wolves, a big one for the Sun Belt. All right, Danielle, we're going to put you on the spot. Who you got? Wow. Oh, guys. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to have to go Arkansas State. The only, the only reason... I'm not trying to be a homer here, but I am going to go with that, they, that they've overcome a lot of struggles this year, and they ended on a strong note because they ended with that victory. They had that loss to Louisiana Lafayette there at the end in the second-to-last game, but they won the next one. They won that one against Texas State to steal that co-championship, and I'm going to say that they're going to ride that momentum and pick up the ball victory. So that has nothing to do. Wait, wait. That has nothing to do there, Danielle. Is that Troy UCF rivalry back in the A Sun Tack days in basketball? I mean, Jeff and I. Jeff was a student. All right, I'll yeah. tell you this, Danielle. Back, I think it was two thousand three. I think or uh, the uh, A Sun championship it was called the Tack back then when Troy beat UCF and Ray Abelard. I don't think you still haven't gotten over that one, have you, Jeff? I know I haven't. Well, and, for a while uh, there, it was it was Troy and UCF and men's basketball yeah. kind of going back and forth. And what I remember. Uh, was a game around that time uh, UCF would have been on a long winning streak in men's basketball and Troy came into the old arena uh, riding a win streak of their own and the and the UCF arena was packed it was it was actually a, a school record for attendance in that building something like 4,700 people and Troy came out and I remember I talked with Rob Ross who used to be a basketball player for UCF and Danielle you'd appreciate this Troy came out in the first half and they hit 72% from the field, and they hit something like seven threes in the first half. It wasn't, it wasn't Dinkin and Duncan inside. They were, they were blitzing us from beyond the arc. And, uh, and I remember thinking, my, I, this team can't miss. This is unbelievable. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, a little, bit, a little bit going back and forth about Troy. But that was a, that was a good time back in the A Sundays uh, between UCF and Troy. Yeah, it was before I was officially a Trojan. Now I've always, always kind of had had my ties here and there with uh, some some guys from the local area that went to college and played football there. But it was before my days as a Trojan, so I'm not I'm not holding it against UCF. And as a Giants fan, I have to thank you for OCU Manura too. So <laughs> yeah, and Lawrence Tynes. That's right. Obviously, Lawrence that's, Tynes. that's a little a little further back, but yeah, Lawrence Tynes a Trojan too. Yeah, so. Good stuff. Danielle Jenkins, where can uh, where can folks find you on Twitter and all that kind of stuff to keep in touch with you throughout the year? Yeah, uh, on Twitter at Danielle underscore Fate. 
uh, look up Danielle Jenkins. And then um, I also am on Instagram, same thing, at Danielle Faith. So i uh, love to have you guys keep up with everything. It was great to talk with you guys, and I appreciate you having me on. All right, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the Bulls uh, this coming December and into January, and uh, we'll catch up with you down the road. Hey, guys, thanks so much. And our thanks to uh, Danielle for joining us. Uh, and uh, like, I, I, by the way, interesting note on her. She actually, uh, she actually also does some work for Piedmont College up in uh, Demarest, Georgia, which is a place that I actually taught at uh, for a period of time when I was a sports reporter up in Tacoa, not far away. Beautiful, beautiful campus up in Piedmont. This tiny little um, private school up in the mountains in North Georgia with a really, uh, really impressive communication school up there. So wanted to give the, the Lions a shout out while we had the chance. But you know, Danielle's not joking, man. This is uh, you know this is going to be this is going to be a heck of a matchup, and uh, and I think that it's going to be a little bit of a uh, you know don't take the Sun Belt lightly, man, because this is a good league with some good teams in it. And like I said, they're not afraid to. They're not afraid to take it to teams that they think that uh, they can punch up at. They're, I always get worried about those ga- the games against teams that, you know, that where, where teams feeling like they're punching up at us because they kind of ha- play like they have nothing to lose. And this is their bowl game. You know, they can finish eight and five. Um, that's that's a pretty good season for them, you know, and, and, a, and a share of the conference crown to boot. No question about it. And I think this is, as we talked about in the interview, you know, I think this is a big bowl game for the Sun Belt, and it's a big bowl game for them. And it's and something they're going to shoot for us too. Scott Frost looking for a bowl yeah. win in his first season, you know. But so it's kind of kind of like a, a clash of cultures in a way, you know. Yeah, no, you're right. So I, I think it's going to be a fascinating uh, evening. Uh, should be a good atmosphere, and uh, I'm very looking forward to seeing how the teams come out. And you know, from Arkansas State standpoint, for them, it's just they just basically coming off a bye. You know, they played two weeks ago against Texas State. And so basically it's like a reg- just an extension of the season. UCF's had two weeks off, basically. Um, so that'll be interesting uh, to see how both teams look early in the game as well. Uh, if there's any rust, you might see some new plays, some trickeration. Who knows? Uh, that's always something to look forward to when you come to bowl games. Yeah, I think that actually the two weeks off as opposed to three is going to help us out. I kind of touched upon this last week, like, you know, I thought we were a little rusty in the St. Pete Bowl when I was there uh, after three weeks off. That game was right around Christmas time. Uh, this game, this game this week, I think is it, the two weeks off is going to be helpful in terms of getting healthy. So, uh, again, kickoff for this game is going to be a Saturday, December the seventeenth at Camping World Stadium, five thirty p.m. kickoff. If you can't make it to the game, first of all, what the hell's the matter with you? Uh, second of all, it's on CBS Sports Network at uh, at five thirty p.m. So be on the lookout uh, there. Uh, and uh, and like I said, UCF's first bowl game in the city of Orlando. It should be fun. We, you and I, Eric, we will both be there, and following the game, we will have a little uh, post-game debrief uh, after the uh, after yep. the Cure Bowl uh, as part of the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. So I'm looking forward to uh, doing that with you after the game. Looking forward to that. It's one of the things that we'll do from time to time in the podcast is report from those big live UCF events, and I uh, hope to get you some post-game coverage and our thoughts from the football game as well. And uh, uh, looking forward to it, a place that we used to go frequently a yep. lot. I know. It seems, I, it seems like, it, you know, it seems like it was so long ago, but then it, it doesn't. But then it, it's not right. I mean, I was just actually I was actually flipping through some old photos that we took um, when we were there. And it was nice seeing 
Eric DeSalvo and UCF Knights, and char- who's in charge of the UCF Knights Twitter account, uh, sending out some old photos when we had the old black and gold checkerboard end zones in the old Citrus Bowl back in the day. That was kind of fun to see. You have not, have you not, I don't think you've been back to the stadium, and I'm talking about the press box. I know you've been back to the stadium as a whole uh, since the renovations and stuff. But not as in far the press as the, box since, I, since they renovated it. Because you used to do uh, student broadcasting, as, as I did. Yeah. Uh, right down you used there on to do press row. With Matt Dunaway, uh, who's now an SID uh, at Texas Tech men's basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is Matt Itell Matt was Itell part of your was there, group, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, it used to be, you know, Victor and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Victor Anderson, who's a, who's a buddy of ours, used to be involved in that as well. And, of course, you and um, and a couple other. Emerson Lotzi used to be involved in that. He's now Right, he's working at TV Anchor. Yeah, yeah, and, you're right. Uh, so so we had, a, you know, we had some good times up there. It was a, it was a good, uh, it was a lot. Of, I'm interested to see the, ins- the, the new press box now to see what it's like. I, I will be curious to see your face. I think you're going to be shocked how completely you won't even recognize it, how different it is than when back when we were there, because back then the press box, it was pretty accessible as far as pretty easy to find the broadcasters. We would run into them a lot frequently yeah. and stuff like that. That is not the case as you will see when on Saturday it's uh, it's brand new. Uh, it's just uh, a state of the art. You'll be and, and you're going to be jealous because now every broadcast crew has their own little suite room, basically, and nobody can oh, bother. Them. Oh, oh it, God, really? Oh, come on. It's it's fantastic. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's and then there's yeah, balcony. Right. It's just amazing. You know, sh- schmoes like us don't have to bother. Don't have to, they, they don't have to bother. Pretty much that, so. like <laughs> you have to know where you're going to find them. It's okay. pretty impressive. But uh, it'll be cool, I think, to see that. Uh, one more time, at least in the stadium, and who knows? I mean, I have a you know UCF might play future games there down the road as well. So uh, interesting to see how the fans kind of interact with the area uh, like they used to, and uh, it should be fun. Yeah, you know, Danny White was kind of was kind of he had a little uh, Facebook Live asked the AD session today, and he was today we're recording this on Tuesday, December thirteenth, and he kind of kind of dropped a few breadcrumbs about the possibility of having a game back in the Citrus Bowl. Uh, at some point for UCF, a regular season game, so that would be that would be kind of interesting if if they're able to pull that off. So, um, well, I remember there was a rumor. I want to say it was about a year or two. There was rumors about a possibly UCF playing there against Miami uh, yeah. in a regular season game, and things didn't work out for a variety, whatever reasons. Uh, who knows if how true it was or whatever. Well, UCF but, did play Miami at Bright House Network Stadium, and that's so. I think that's still the attendance record, if I'm not mistaken. That game, I was at that game. It was a it was a packed house. Oh, not 2009. Yep. Uh, but there was some chatter that that UCF and Miami could play over there, and you know, as part of a maybe a three game series where they play in campus and and then play one game there, and, and you know, who knows? It never materialized. Uh, but that would be something that I would be for in the future, because as you know, sometimes. It, you know, if you want to attract a big time program or a power school, uh, they're not be will- they're not willing to come to campus. So the next best thing you might have to do is, well, if you don't want to come to campus, maybe we could play here at the Campy World Stadium and make it worth your while. Then, right. um, you know, you've seen other like example of that was Houston uh, playing Oklahoma this past year. They played it at, Re- at Reliant. Yeah, that's stadium, a good point. It's an NFL stadium. Uh you know, so I and that's one of the reasons why South Florida has been able to schedule Florida State is because they've been able to sell them on the fact that, hey, you're playing at Raymond James, which is an NFL stadium. So I think that is something that I could see 
in the future UCF looking into if teams don't want to play at Bright House or whatever the stadium's going to be named mm-hmm. afterwards. Uh, I could see that the uh, Campy World possibly being that an option to help them uh, attract a, a future opponents. Yeah, I think that's and and yeah, I like the idea of thinking out of the box and doing that kind of stuff. So uh, again, we'll kind of see how that materializes and. And uh, you know, it's good to see Danny White kind of thinking about that, too. I don't know if previous regimes would have even thought, you know, really seriously about it. But I think Danny's actually pretty, pretty interested in that. So uh, one thing uh, we're going to take a break here in a little bit. And uh, and when we get back, we'll talk a little bit about some coaching moves uh, in, in the uh, in the state of Florida and uh, and in the American. But uh, just some sad word uh, that I wanted to pass along before we took a break here. I uh, got word earlier today that a, a, a really longtime uh, member of the UCF um, athletics family uh, we lost uh, we lost him today. Uh, Colonel Lee Logan, who's an Air Force veteran, but uh, for a long time was uh, uh, you could see, he was seemingly at every UCF sporting event uh, performing some sort of official function, be it keeping score, um, doing play by play, observing things. Um, he would help out with keeping score at football. Uh, he was part of the staff for basketball that would not only do the games at uh, at, at the arena, but would also um, would also go over to the Bahamas with the guys because uh, they because that staff would run that tournament out there um, for the Battle of Atlantis. Um, he was uh, he was at volleyball quite often, operating. You know, he would do things like he would operate the scoreboard, and uh, he was actually uh, an academic advisor at UCF for, uh, for a number of years very close to the athletic program. Lee passed away um, this week. And, um, and so our thoughts and prayers are with, um, you know, obviously Lee and his family and, and friends. Um, you know, I know that, you, Eric, you and I both counted, uh, counted Lee as a friend going back to when we were students, right? Yeah. Uh, it's been a difficult week from that standpoint. It's weird. Lee, Lee as you mentioned, it was around every – I mean, if you went to UCF sporting events, and I'm not even just talking about football um, – yeah, we're talking basketball, obviously, but women's basketball, softball. He was always around at softball doing volleyball, score, scoreboard stuff. Baseball, obviously, was his favorite. Uh, he used to go there a lot too, scoreboard there too. And uh, you know, you know, when I first started broadcasting uh, softball, it was actually around 2007. I was a student, and he was very positive. He was very encouraging of uh, me doing that, and and he always enjoyed the other sports. That was the thing that really where we hit it off, and it maybe. In a lot, in, in a direct way, I think these the, the podcast that we're doing indirectly was in, maybe in, in in some parts inspired indirectly by Lee with the, the inner you know interactions that we both probably had with him because as you know and I had interactions with him we talked every UCF sport if it was if it was women's basketball season he would we would talk about what's going on with the women's basketball team and he would throw his two cents in he would talk about what he felt the coaches needed to do he was always <laughs> he always uh was talking about how the coaches should recruit more in the area. And, and he was, he was and, never shy about expressing no, his opinions. No. And, he, and that's, uh, he was so well-respected by everybody at, yeah. in, the, in the department, you know? Sure. And, and you know, so that, that's, you know, so he was always around with softball and he would, you know, and then, and, and as, as I started doing softball, even when we were other, he would always pick my brain. Hey, how's softball doing? What's the outlook? What's it looking like? You know, do we have this, do we have that. And, and we would always talk about those things. Um, you know, I always remember baseball, you know, Brian Armistead was the baseball SID. Lee Logan would always, you know, kind of tease him a little bit. And, and there was a fun atmosphere. And it was always great to chat 
but he was always passionate with UCF, and uh, and and that'll miss that. And so uh, I, I know he'll be looking from above all UCF sports, and I have a feeling he'll be scrutinizing them from above yeah. and maybe questioning some of the scoring decisions. <laughs> but um, I uh, certainly it's been a tough week there, and our condolences to the family and friends. And I think uh, as we will dedicate this podcast to him. And uh, in a lot, in some ways, uh, helped. Uh, one of the reasons why we did this is because people like him who uh, enjoyed not just UCF football but enjoyed all UCF athletics. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I knew Lee as a student, you know, as a broadcaster, and, and later on as a staff member. Uh, and then, you know, when I did PA at volleyball, he was, you know, always really helpful. And and you know, we did softball as well and baseball, and he was always. I I, I remember him fondly, you know, doing all the baseball games that I did when I was a student. Uh, and him kind of, <laughs> like you said, he was never shy about expressing uh, his displeasure with what was uh, going on. But he was also, you know, he was always also so complimentary of um, a number of things that, you know, that happened. And, um, uh, you know, it's it's going to be tough. You know, we mm-hmm. missed him at volleyball this year. You know, he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't at any volleyball matches uh, uh, on the scores table. And it really wasn't the same without him. And, um, and UCF in general um, is not going to be the same without um, Colonel Lee Logan. So, um, Lee, we miss you, and um, and uh, we know you're going to be uh, rooting the Knights on from somewhere in the great beyond. And uh, like we said, just keep an eye out for us, and, uh, and like we said, we miss you, Lee. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. We're still talking football today and um, and some big news uh, throughout this week outside of the UCF sphere of influence. Um, coaching news in particular. Some big-time coaching moves that uh, uh, both in the American and in the state of Florida. And I guess we'll try and take these in order. Um, the first domino to fall was Willie Taggart, the head coach, form, now former head coach at USF, who took the Oregon job after uh, Mark Helfrich um, got fired. There was a little bit of uh, a little bit of worry on UCF's part that maybe Frost would go back, but instead Oregon decides to go with um, to pull Willie Taggart out of Tampa and bring him out to Eugene, uh, and. He struck when the iron was hot, man. Ten and two, the Bulls this year heading into their bowl game. So um, that's uh, that, that's a big hire for that's a big hire for Oregon. Uh, do you think Willie's up to it? Yes, yes, I do. Um, I think it was a great move. I think Willie Tiger did a great job building South Florida to what they are right now. He did coach at Stanford under Jim Harbaugh, so he's familiar with the West Coast. He's familiar with the Pac-12. Yep. And recruiting and, and the guy is self-motivated. I've had, I've had a chance to interview him actually multiple times, um, you know, at the radio station back when I was on in Tampa and in Orlando. And he, he when you talk to him in the room, he, he will sell you. He will sell the program. He, he's a great recruiter, which I think he has gotten 
I don't think he gets enough credit for that, as we'll get into with his replacement. Uh, but he can coach. And, you know, that was a program that was at the bottom when he took it, took it over. And really with not a lot of backing and support from the fan base, and I would argue from the administration, uh, in a particular, you know, uh, he turned that program into a 10-win team this past year, a top 25 caliber team, a team that when you go into next year will probably be the favorites not only to win the American Conference Eastern Division, but maybe the entire conference, and it's a lot of parts for him. So uh, I think Oregon wanted to go away from the Chip Kelly tree, and I think they want to go a little different, and I think Willie Taggart's a rising star in the industry, and I think he will do well at Oregon. Well, the dominoes continued to fall as uh, the guy who replaces him is the guy who was fired at the University of Texas, Charlie Strong. Uh, this, I think, is uh, – I'll go out here. I'll just say it. I think Charlie Strong for USF is an upgrade over Willie Taggart because <laughs> it's easy for us to, to, to think, oh, you know, well, it didn't go so well in Texas – Charlie Strong did not just get the Texas job out of the blue. Easy for us to forget how good he was at Louisville, former defensive coordinator at uh, Florida. Now he's coming back to the Sunshine State, and he's taking over a program that uh, I think Willie Taggart left in pretty good straits. Uh, what do you think? Charlie Strong to uh, USF. Uh, do you think he's going to be a, an improvement over Taggart? Well, let, let's expand on your comments there because you're not alone in that comment. I mean, I think that's the consistent comment is, wow, they hit a home run and everybody better watch out now. And, and you think he's an upgrade. How do you – why do you think he is an upgrade over Willie Taggart when – here's my counter argument to that. Okay. Charlie Strong, okay, in his five of his seven years as a head football coach at Louisville and Texas, pretty good jobs, pretty good jobs – Failed to win more than seven games in five of them. In five of them. Uh, did not win more than six games in three seasons at Texas, which many, some believe is the best college football head coaching job in the country. Um, I think he's very overrated. Uh, wow. I think is he a good? I think he's a good recruiter. Absolutely, he has ties to the state of Florida. No question about it. But as a head football coach, I think he's very overrated. Uh, I don't think he is a great X's and O's guy. You look at what his issues have been, in particular in Texas. He couldn't get an offensive going until this past year. And his strength is the defensive side of the ball, and he couldn't figure that out over there. Uh, I don't think he's a guy that's comfortable as far as speaking to boosters and selling the program to boosters and media types uh, like a Willie Taggart did. And I think Willie Taggart is getting sold short, yes, is Charlie Strong going to recruit at USF? Sure. But I think Willie Taggart did just as good of a job as anybody recruiting that area when you consider all the flaws that USF has. They don't have their own on-campus facilities as far as a stadium is concerned. They don't really have a fan base. Their fan uh, attendance speaks of that. There's a lot of things going against them uh, that Willie Taggart had to go up against, and he was able to overcome. Uh, so I, I just, I'm not as big of a fan of the Charlie Strong hire as others are. I'm not saying it's a bad hire, but I think people got to pump the brakes to suggest that, you know, Scott Frost and UCF has got to be really concerned now or anybody else in the state, I think is a little naive. I, I think, uh, I've always believed everybody's going to get their players, but can you coach them up? I, I'll counter by saying this. 
You look at his track record at Louisville. Two years, seven and six, his first two years. Went to bowl games both years. His last two years at Louisville, 11 and two, 12 and one. All right? And then then he makes the jump to Texas. So he was, in his last two years at Louisville, he was 23 and three. With a first-round quarterback. With a first-round quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater. Yes. uh, Be fair. He was first-round, you know, very good quarterback. But where's Teddy Bridgewater from? South Florida. Florida. South Florida. Absolutely. Great. So we know Charlie knows how to to recruit the state of Florida. And here's here's the other thing. When you're coaching at Texas, coaching at a place like Texas is a totally different animal. Because, you know, you talked about how he had trouble speaking to boosters. Any Florida guy is going to have trouble speaking to boosters at Texas because they think that Texas is, well, they, everything's bigger in Texas, and they want you to recruit Texas and get nothing but Texas kids, and Texas, Texas, Texas. Charlie Strong comes in from Florida saying, I'm going to bring some Florida kids out to Texas, and the Texas boosters are saying, oh, no, you're not. So I think he was put in a in a in kind of a no-win situation at Texas with a, with a, a group of people kind of hangers on to the program that are just impossible to deal with. Congrats to Mac Brown. He figured out how to do it. And that's not an easy, uh, and, and that's not an easy job. Um, I, I think that he was in an untenable position. I think he's, a, I think he's in a much more favorable position at USF, uh, in terms of being able to recruit, um, and, uh, and, and let's say, I mean, he knows how, I think, I still think he does know how to, how to coach defense, but most importantly, I think the recruiting, keeping kids in the state of Florida is going to be a real key. Now, speaking of Texas, who do they hire to replace Charlie Strong? Well, in comes Tom Herman, leaving the University of Houston, uh, a guy who the Texas boosters have had their eyes on for quite some time. And we know the success that Tom Herman has had uh, at Houston as well. So he leaves the American, but in coming to Houston, well, not really in coming to Houston, uh, they, uh, the Cougars decide to promote their offensive coordinator and uh, quarterbacks coach and a guy who's been in line for some head coaching jobs uh, over the last few years. And I remember him as a player at the University of Texas, Major Applewhite is the new head coach at Houston. So what are your thoughts on Houston going with Applewhite? I like the move for Houston. Houston, first of all, Tom Herman's going to be a home run in Texas. He's going to win big there. He might win big next year. He's already got a quarterback that's very talented, Shane Bichelle. And But I like what Houston, and they kind of accidentally, I think, fell into this because, you know, there was a lot of speculation of where Houston was going with their coaching uh, moves. Uh, Lane Kiffin was thrown in there and stuff like that. Lane Kiffin was throw, tossed around for the USF job, too. <laughs> More everywhere. on that in everywhere. a second. Right, everywhere. But I like the fact they went with Major Applewhite, who was an offensive coordinator there with Houston. He's uh, he's under Tom Herman. He's well known in that state. He's a legend quarterback at the University of Texas. Uh, he's coached everywhere. Rice. He's coached at Texas. And I think he's hungry for this opportunity. I think he will help keep some of the recruits that they already have. Um, and I think they'll get behind them. And Houston's tradition. You always go for the next guy. Who's the next big-time coach? And they've done a great job of that in the past. Uh, when you think about, obviously, Tom Herman recently, but before even that, Kevin Sumlin, yep. they got. Obviously, did Art great Bryles. things. Art Bryles. Uh, so they, they have a history of doing this. And I like the Applewhite move uh, because he's young, he's energetic, he's going to be hungry to prove something, and he's well-known in that state. And from what I was told, 
Um, and it's been reported actually since, but I was told he's very well liked by the Texas high school coaches over there. And that's a big thing. Well, he's a Texas kid. He's a Texas kid. He's well known. And that's a big thing because those high school coaches will have influence on those kids as where they go. That's one of the reasons why Tom Herman's had a lot of success recruiting in Houston is because he was able to bring those guys and he's well liked by those coaches. If you notice one of the other moves, I'm sure we'll talk about Matt rule left temple for Baylor. And one of the first hires he did at Baylor, he hired one of the top high school guys in that state. So he can connect with all those people in Texas. So I love the move for Applewhite. Uh, I'm eager to see how he does at his opportunity, what he does as a staff. But I think for Houston, considering the circumstances, I think they got the right guy for that job. I think they would have made a mistake if they would have gone outside with a guy that had to prove himself inside that state. That could have set set the program back. I think Applewhite being in there already will help the transition, and they're still going to have a lot of talent coming back going into next year. Now you mentioned my next one that I was going to I was going to touch upon. Temple loses Matt Rule to Baylor, who replaced Jim Grove after Art after the Art Bryles thing just uh, imploded. It's such a bad situation at Baylor. They got to clean that program up. Uh, in your opinion, real quick, does Matt Rule have the ability to do that? Yes, because it was he had limited resources at Temple, yep. and he won. And I think that's one of the reasons why Baylor wanted him because I think. They're going to have some limited resources with all the off the field stuff that happened at Baylor. Uh, he's going to be able to clean up that program, and I think he'll win. And he's got a seven year deal, so to me, it sounds like Baylor's going to be patient with him. And he seems to be already doing the right things, as I mentioned, hiring one of the top high school guys involved in high school coaches in the state to be on the staff, so he can have a connection with the state. The guy can coach football, and you've seen that how he's turned around Temple. And I think if they give him time, he'll do well at Baylor. And I, I think he's a coach that maybe hasn't gotten the credit that he deserves with the job he did at Temple. Temple, you mentioned, with a very interesting hire here. Uh, replacing Matt Rule, in comes Florida Gators defensive coordinator and former UCF Knights assistant Jeff Collins. Collins comes over uh, to Temple. Uh, I... I I really raised some eyebrows at that uh, when uh, Collins was actually mentioned in the running for our job back when it was open. Um, Since uh, UCF, uh, he has coached at FIU, Mississippi State, and then, of course, he got the job at Florida as the defensive coordinator under Jim McElwain. He's 45 years old. Um, I remember him from uh, the Get Your Chili Hot days uh, when he was at at UCF as as a defensive assistant. Um, I, th- I, I, a plus hire for Temple going and getting Jeff Collins. I think fascinating, very fascinated yeah. by this. Jeff Collins was obviously rumored uh, for the UCF job last year, and then I and I know in talking to people, he wanted this job. All right, yeah, he. <laughs> There's yeah, a re- it was it. Yeah, it was out there pretty strong for Jeff Collins. Yeah, a lot of times, and people know this. If you see like national writers talk about specific coaches for specific jobs. Sometimes that's the agent feeding him that information. And Jeff Collins obviously coached under George O'Leary here. Uh, I think he wanted this job badly. And I'm sure his people fed that to a lot of people. They fed that to people that I knew that told me the same thing Mm -hmm. that I know at Florida. All right. So I think he's been eager to be a head football coach. That's kind of been his next step. You mentioned he's coached all over the South. And 
I, I'm fascinated to see how he does because I know some UCF fans didn't want Jeff Collins to be the head coach. There was questions about him as can he be a head coach material? You know, he's, is he more of a defensive guy? What he would do? Well, we're going to find out now. Yeah, and he's very intense. I think he did a heck of a job at Florida under Jim McElwain there for two years. He's he's done a good job everywhere he's gone. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how he does at Temple. But let's be honest, that adds a little sizzle to that Temple UCF game, in my opinion. Now, don't you? I mean, let's. I mean, that's. I am. You know, he's going to be ready for that game. You know, he's going to circle that game, and he's going to come up with some schemes going up against Scott Frost. That's going to be fun. Um, interesting to see how he does up in the north. Uh, there's been mixed results there. Steve Adasio used to coach Temple was under Urban Meyer at Florida. He's now at Boston College. He struggled there. Can Collins bring Florida talent, steal Florida talent to go play at Temple is the biggest question I have, Jeff. That's gonna be that's gonna be a tough act to follow. But if I think if anybody can do it, uh, right. Jeff Collins has the right attitude in order to do that. I think he I think he has the right mindset for uh, to get kids to think uh, to think uh, to to think win first at Temple, a program that's been struggling for a long time but has uh, come upon uh, uh, good times of late. Uh, over at Cincinnati. The big thing for Jeff, the real big thing for Jeff, real quick. Yeah. They'll be fine defensively. What will determine right. his success or lack of success will be what he does on the offensive side of the ball. We've seen this with guys that are defensive coordinators mm-hmm. in college football. Uh, will Muschamp comes to mind. Where they have struggled and they have failed is because of lack of offense and lack of recruiting on the offensive side of the ball. That's something that Jeff has to address and he will have to do a very good job to be successful. I don't question that Temple will be fine defensively with him. I mean, they're fine. They've been fine without him. They're going to have be to fine address with it without PJ Walker too, because he's not going to have yeah. him anymore. So. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. So that's, Cincinnati, that's important. Cincinnati let go of Tommy Tuberville after a four and eight season. They hire Luke Fickle. Uh, he is the former uh, co-defensive coordinator for Ohio State. Actually, was the interim head coach at Ohio State in uh, 2011 in the transition year between uh, Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer. But uh, uh, Fickle comes over. He's an Ohio State guy through and through. Actually started there as a, as a GA, 99. Actually played uh, at Ohio State from 93 to 96. Columbus, Ohio guy. He comes over to coach at Cincinnati. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's going to be a problem, too, because you talk about another defensive guy who knows how to coach defense. Luke Fickle's the guy if you're Cincinnati, and they had problems with that this year. Yeah, I like this move. First of all, I thought the Tuberville-Cincinnati relationship had kind of soured. It kind of ran its course. That program's been in decline. Yeah. The, the thing and when he yelled at the fan, that was yeah. – that, that, was, that, wasn't that wasn't a cause of the illness. That was a symptom, and, that was, and it was pretty much done with after that. I agree. I like the move with Fickle. You mentioned his background. He's obviously got ties in that state of Ohio. Uh, and so he should be able to recruit players there to go to Cincinnati. I think he realized, look, Urban Meyer is going to be here a while. I need to yep. go somewhere else. <laughs> prove my- no, and this is smart on his part. Let me go to Cincinnati, see if I prove myself. And if I can win there, maybe in a few years, if Urban Meyer steps aside from Ohio State, I could be uh, a guy that's looked at to be the next head coach at Ohio State, possibly yeah. down the road. He's a young guy uh, still, 43 years old. Absolutely. Very young, very energetic, very enthusiastic. Uh, I like the move for Cincinnati. Uh, I'm going to say the same thing about him I did about for Jeff. What does he do on the offensive side of the ball 
for Cincinnati will be fascinating to me. You got to believe that he will probably bring that Urban Meyer style spread offense with him to Cincinnati, I would assume. And, you know, one of the things, if you look at the track record, Urban Meyer assistant coaches do very well when they uh, for head coaching jobs. So, and I think if you're Cincinnati, you're hoping that Luke Fickle is your next Tom Herman. Some other uh, hires I wanted to mention here, uh, not in the American, but uh, of of note. Especially by the way, by the way, how point. great is it? But we're, we're quick. Yeah. The American Conference is clear, is the conference to go to get the next coach. That is now oh, been no clear question. this offseason. This is the job. This is the league that people – if, if you wondered if the league was respected, you have just seen it by all the coaches that were hired to power conferences. This is the, the league that people will go to to find the next coach because they respect the programs and the, the, type, the style of football and the talent of football and the depth and the coaching in this league. I think it speaks a lot about this league in the American Conference and the respect it has across college football that this is the league that people will go to to find their next big head coach. And it's I think that's the competition level in the league, certainly. I think next year, yes. I mean, you look around, you look around the coaches. I think we've seen a little bit of it with basketball. But, you know, especially here in football, this is where, you know, I, we always refer to the, the MAC, the Mid-American Conference, as the cradle of coaches. This right. is the cradle of coaches now, I think, yes. the American. No yes. question in my yes. mind. Two other hires outside of the American that I wanted to touch upon that, um, that UCF, I think, does need to kind of raise their eyebrows at. Down south, FAU and FIU, both of them hiring new head coaches. I'll start with FIU. Uh, letting go, they fired Ron Turner right after we blew him out down in Miami. Ron Cooper went four and four as an interim. Uh, he's out of the way now. FIU hires former Miami Hurricanes head coach Butch Davis. Butch is coming back to South Florida to coach FIU. We know how good of a recruiter Butch Davis is. Will he? Uh, will he be? Well, actually, I'll ask the question here in a second because I want to touch upon FAU in Boca, letting go of Charlie Partridge after a 3-9 and nine year. And it comes down that they hire Lane Kiffin, the offensive coordinator from Alabama, guy who's coached at Tennessee, USC, the Oakland Raiders, certainly a controversial figure. I think he's been chastened quite a bit by working underneath Nick Saban. Uh, I think he, uh, he was a classic case of having too much given to him at once, but uh, FAU, he actually took a pay cut to come to FAU. So Butch Davis at FIU, Lane Kiffin at FAU. Uh, I'm going to put this out there. Is this a problem for UCF in terms of recruiting, especially in South Florida? Yes. Uh, this, to me, impacts UCF more than Charlie Strong, believe it or not. And I know that's wow. not a popular opinion. And, that's, and you just hit part of it. I think Lane Kiffin obviously gets scrutinized a lot and maligned a lot. And some of it, he's brought it to himself, honestly. I think but I don't of it, think he's brought it to himself, but anyway. <laughs> sure. But let's not, let's just put that aside. From an X's and O's standpoint, he knows his football. I mean, look at what, at Alabama, he's, he, there's a reason Nick Saban brought him in. And that offense has gone to the next level since he arrived there at Alabama. Everywhere he's gone, they've got good offenses. And I think for FAU, this was a big hire. I think this was a reaction to the FIU hire of Butch. And I think for Lane Kiffin, I think he's tired of the scrutiny. And you mentioned he's still young. It's not like he's an old guy. Uh, I think he'll recruit very well at FAU. I think he'll recruit offensive talent there. I think they will win games with him. 
And I think he wants, he's got a chip on his shoulder. I think he's tired of being the whipping boy. I think he's tired of all those, you know, uh, shots that you see on highlights where Nick Saban's yelling at him. And I think he wants to be a head coach. Look, LSU wanted him. LSU was prepared to offer him about $2 million to be his offensive coordinator, work with his best friend, one of his best friends, and Ed Orgeron. But what this tells you is he wants to be a head football coach. And I think he realizes if I want to prove myself as a head coach, I just got to take a job like FAU and win. And you know what? I won't be as scrutinized at FAU as I was at USC or Tennessee, where every little thing I did got scrutinized. At FAU, man, they're going to leave you alone, and he's going to coach, and he's going to do it. He's going to bring them some attention, but if they win, they're going to be ecstatic, and maybe that leads him to another job down the road. But I think for FAU, let's be honest, FAU's been in the headlines here more this past week for this hire than they have been in a long time. Probably since so uh, I, since Howard Schnellenberger was there. Yeah, sure. I think that's valid. And and he's got an on-campus stadium there. All right, that he's gonna he's gonna be able to rec- to use. It's, an, so, it's in Boca, uh, nice place to be. You can you can yeah. you can sell the kids on. Hey, you know, stay in South Florida. Yeah. It's nice up here. It's nice. Well, up here if they're we're recruiting in, if if you're recruiting in Broward and Miami Dade, it's up in Boca Raton. But um, it seems like the right it seems like the right fit. I feel like it's gonna go either really good or really really bad. It, there's no middle of the road here. With sure, this. but it's a good gamble. If yeah. you're FAU, it's, what, what what do you got to lose? I, to me, it's a good gamble. The guy can coach. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And I think he's going to bring the attention there. Now, on to Butch, yeah. who you and I know very well. We follow him down in South Florida, helped that built that Miami program in the 2000s, was under Jimmy Johnson's staff. Who said, actually, uh, remember in that documentary, the, the sequel to the U, that he regretted leaving Miami when he did? As he should. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as he should. I mean – which is fascinating, by the way. And, and there's something that those documentaries didn't make. Howard Schnellenberger and Butch Davis, think about how their legacies would be different if they didn't leave Miami when they did. Howard Schnellenberger left uh, after the first national title for the USFL. I mean, he could have won He could have won for years and, at Miami and become an icon. And left for, Same a thing team with that, uh, left for a team that never materialized, never played a game. Sure. Correct. Um, and then for Butch, he left after 2000. I mean – that 2001 Miami team, which many believe is one of, if not the best college football team ever, was all butch. And Larry Coker got the, the fruits of that labor. So I agree. He should regret that. Now, a lot of attention on Lane's baggage. Butch has some baggage. Um, and that goes back to North Carolina. Yep. We had some off-the-field issues, academic issues there, that North Carolina is still dealing with to this day. That's why Butch has kind of been – blackballed to some degree and clearly didn't get the Miami job last year. It was no secret that Butch wanted back that Miami job and had support for it. Um, he didn't get it. And I think Butch obviously has been doing television at ESPN realized he wasn't going to get another power five opening anytime soon because of what happened in North Carolina. So if you can't get the Miami job that you wanted, he obviously knows that area. He's going to go to FIU Pete Garcia, the athletic director, is moving on. Was a used to be at UM, and I think Butch will be able to recruit guys to play at FIU. Now the facilities are not very good at FIU. We've all been there. That's going to be a challenge for Butch. But Butch is a tremendous recruiter. If anybody spent time with him, he can recruit, and uh, he knows the state. The, the high school coaches know him. He likes him. Uh, he can. He's a tremendous evaluator uh, of talent. He can 
judge talent as good as anybody in this state has ever has. So I think he'll bring FIU to respectability. And it's not like FIU can't win. Remember when Mario Cristobal was the head coach at FIU, they had T.Y. Hilton and those guys. Mm-hmm. They were going to bowl games as well. They beat us and, uh, They beat us at least once with, uh, with Mario. I think yeah. maybe even twice. Yeah. So uh, they won that game in 2011 that, that you're talking about at FIU. Won, that was, uh, well, Mario beat us once. FIU's beaten us twice. But, it was, but right. first of all, yeah, and he was a hot, and he was a hot name. Uh, for a while, for a head coaching, uh, for a head coaching job, right? Former UM offensive lineman. Yes, and and FIU made a huge mistake letting Mario Cristobal go. Yeah, they did. After twenty, um, after the year that they had a down year, and then they got rid of him, and that they haven't recovered from that. So I think they're hopeful that Butch can kind of bring some excitement there. I am fascinated to see the staffs that both guys will bring to those respective uh, programs. Uh, um, something to keep in mind about Cristobal, he did play at UM, as you mentioned, when Butch was around as an assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, uh, he was also, I believe, he was at Miami under Butch. He coached under Butch uh, from 98 to 2000. So there's a connection there. I only bring that, you know, so – it's kind of interesting that they would go that route. I'm not suggesting that Cristobal is going to join them at FIU, but what I am saying is I, I'm sure that Butch will has picked Mario Cristobal's brain about what the you know the good and the bad about FIU. I think this is the strongest that FAU and FIU have put out there as far as at the same time from a coaching standpoint, and from that standpoint. That will make it harder for UCF because I think it's not going to be as easy to plug kids away from that area and take them away from FAU and FIU and et cetera than there was maybe in the past. I do think this state has gotten tougher in the back end now where FAU and FIU is going to be able to steal a kid or two that maybe would have gone to UCF or USF. And look, Mark Rick. Yeah, I was just going to say. a kid too as well in Miami. I was I mean, just going to say, easy for us yeah. to forget Mark Rick is at Miami now. Who, who I think is going is doing a heck of a job there is going to do a great job there. So I think there's the most this is the most depth in this state from a coaching standpoint that we've ever had. Usually there's always been a weak link or two that you kind of like like Ron Turner nobody really took seriously. So with all due respect to the previous coaches at FAU and you know prior after Howard Snellenberger and then obviously since Mario Cristobal this is the first time I think teams will take seriously FAU and FIU. I think with Butch and Lane, and I think Butch is going to be there longer than Lane. Uh, um, they're going to be able to steal some kids away and and be and compete in Conference USA. And keep this in mind: UCF will open the football season in 2017 against Butch Davis at FIU. Butch Davis's first game will be in Orlando in 2017. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you know how it shakes out with those programs. I, I do think, though, you're right. I think recruiting just got a lot tougher for Scott Frost down in down in Broward, Palm Beach, and Miami Dade. And if he's going to get the kids that he wants that he wants to get in to run UCF fast with Florida level speed, he's going to have to work a lot harder in those three counties um, down in what you know Howard Schnellenberger used to call the state of Miami. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a lot tougher for him to pry some of those kids out from. It's one thing when you're recruiting against you know. Uh, uh, Partridge or whatever the heck his name was at FAU, and yeah. and Ron Turner. It's another thing to be going up against Butch Davis and Mark Richt 
and and Lane Kiffin, who you know is going to be uh, is going to be bringing out a lot of uh, a lot of flash to FAU as well. Oh, it is. So, uh, but let's not sell let's not sell Scott Frost short. And trust me, Scott True. Frost is not is not shaking in his boots over Charlie Strong or Lane Kiffin, any of these guys. In fact, Scott Frost would, tells you here. There's a lot UCF has to offer that maybe some of these schools don't. Well, there's a lot of good coaches being hired. Um, recruiting is definitely going to be a battle in the state of Florida with some of the people they've hired. Uh, but we feel like we have the best uh, college town in the state of Florida. We think we have the best uh, university in the state of Florida and the, and the best campus in the state of Florida. Um, we'll go to battle uh, to get as many of the right kids as we possibly can. But I know a lot of those guys are good coaches and good, and good recruiters. How about that? How about that, yeah. Jeff, saying UCF has the best, most to offer from an atmosphere and fan and, and, and university uh, environment? I mean, he's Scott Frost. Is that, did that sound like a guy that's concerned about these new hires? I, it doesn't sound he's concerned well, at all. Well, I think what he's saying is our fan base needs to prove it, starting with this this bowl game coming up and mm-hmm. and heading into next year, too, because you know the I, I, one of the concerns is with the attendance. Um, but, they, you know, I, I think if we can step it up as a fan base – uh, we can we can help prove him right because you know when when the place is rocking. I remember when Miami came here to uh, to to the stadium to Bright House in 2009. It was a se- it was a sellout, and um, this place was loud, 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 loud. And, um, and and I think that he's right. If you can capture that atmosphere, um, this could be a good couple years for UCLA. I just I just think that Scott's going to have to really earn his money, and it's going to fall on uh, a couple other guy key guys too. Um, Kevin Smith and Travis Fisher, and, right. uh, and and those those guys going down south and talking to kids uh, about coming to Orlando and selling the UCF program that they grew up in and that they are now coaching in is going to be uh, is going to be a critical point for UCF here over the next few years with all this extra competition now in this suddenly crowded state of Florida for coaching. All right. Uh, moving on from football, let's uh, let's talk a little basketball. We'll start with men's, and uh, this is the part of the schedule that we were starting to get a little bit worried at. They got the win over Maryland Eastern Shore on December the tenth, seventy six fifty eight, but uh, then came back at home two days later, faced a tough Penn team. These these freaking Ivy League schools, man. I don't know what the heck they do, but they just they they play they play che- they play chess when other teams play checkers out there on the floor. Penn beats UCF by nine, fifty-eight forty-nine. Uh, holds UCF to, if I'm not mistaken here, their lowest point total of the year, forty-nine points. Uh, looking at the shooting numbers for UCF, uh, only shot thirty-two percent from the field, seventeen out of fifty-two. Um, Taco Fall was, although Taco Fall was eight for eight. So if you remove Taco Fall from UCF's box score, the Knights shot. 9 of 44 from the field uh, against against Penn. Taco had 17 points and 17 boards in that game. Um, Knights, I think, right now are really missing B.J. Taylor, uh, who's out with a hand injury. That's that's Yeah, well, that's the big thing. I mean, really, that's the elephant in the room. I mean, yeah. really, that, that's going to be the headline. That's one that's going to that's gonna hurt, and, and hopefully oh. B.J. can make it back soon. Hopefully by uh, – I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take. It's going to be a couple weeks, I think, at least, right? They need to get him back as soon as possible at the conference. I mean, it's noticeable. Their offense hasn't been the same without him in the, in the two games. You look at that Penn game, Taco Fall only got like one shot in the second half, I believe. And he was open at a lot of times. And they just they can't feed the ball in there. They don't have a true point guard. 
on the roster. We talked about the lack of guys on the roster due to with the scholarships and stuff. That's a huge loss. So this team's going to struggle without him. There's no question, and I think we've seen that. And I, I don't, you know, that's the big question. The really the only question I have for the rest of the way for basketball from now until conference is when does BJ Taylor return? Because if he does not return anytime soon, they're going to struggle. Uh, and it's not going to get easier. You got George Washington on the road. That's going to be tough. Miami of Ohio at home. That's not going to be a cakewalk all of a sudden. And then before you know it, you open conference play against Temple on New Year's Eve. So it, it's it's right around the corner. And, and and again, I cannot emphasize B.J. Taylor is a would is significant. He is the quarterback of this team, and they need him. And uh, you just hope that he can get back here sooner than later. And he's playing so well leading up to this injury too. So couldn't it really happen at a worse time? Hopefully, he can get back, like you said, as soon as possible. Women's, on the other hand, they got another victory in their back pocket. Uh, by the way, I, let me go back real quick. The men's basketball team, I should say, seven and two right now. Still not a bad position to be uh, with three uh, games left to go before. Uh, conference play starts. Women's, on the other hand, they are eight and two. Got a fourteen-point win over Gardner Webb at home in an old uh, matchup in an old former Atlantic Sun Conference uh, matchup. They've got a, now a whole week off before they go up to Statesboro, Georgia, to play Georgia Southern uh, on December the seventeenth, which is at two p.m. the day of the bowl game. But uh, looking at this uh, Gardner Webb win again, the Knights uh, shoot forty-four percent, nine of uh, or excuse me. 3 of 12 from three-point range, 3 of 8 from Zai Lewis uh, from beyond the arc, who led the team in scoring with 20 and 5 assists to go with 5 boards. She was 7 of 18 from the field. Uh, Aaliyah Gregory also, uh, boy, has she come into her own, 6 of 14 from the field, 13 points. But uh, Coach Abe and the crew uh, out-rebounded uh, uh, Gardner-Webb 40 to 27. You know Coach Abe likes to see that. And, uh, and they get the victory over the Bulldogs by 14 points. Uh, jumped out quickly. They were up 44 to uh, uh, 22 at the half. They were doubling up Gardner Webb at the half. They've gotten off to some really quick starts this year, Elo, and uh, and so far it's been showing. Hopefully they can keep it up. But uh, I, I I can't get over how impressed I've been with how this team has come together. Yeah, I think you're seeing the uh, dividends already of Coach Abe there and uh, her arrival, and, and she's shown that she could coach. And I think there's a reason Danny White brought her here, and I know Danny White is excited. It's surprised. I think he's even commented on it, how he feels they're actually ahead of schedule this year. Uh, so, you know, they got a couple of weeks to fine tune themselves before they open conference play themselves. So it's just, can they find enough consistency on the offensive side of the ball? I think they've proven they can rebound and they can defend, but can they get consistent on offense? The coup de of as we wrap, as we start to come down the home stretch here on this episode of the black and gold banner at podcast, Eric Lopez, your UCF softball team, release their schedule for the 2017 season um, earlier uh, on Tuesday. Uh, some of the highlights of the teams that they're going to be playing, um, obviously they start the season with an invitational that welcomes in Florida A&M in-state, but also Pitt and Kentucky, so ACC, SEC coming in. Uh, they head out to Palm Springs again for the Mary Nutter Classic uh, and uh, take on some tough teams from out west. Cal Poly's pretty good. UCLA, California, we know how good UCLA is. Uh, Loyola Marymount out in California, also very good. Uh, and they come back uh, on the way back. They go to Tuscaloosa for a tournament, uh, playing against the likes of Texas Tech, Alabama, Gardner-Webb, uh, before they finally come back, uh, come back into the state of Florida. Uh, they welcome Providence for a UCF Invitational. 
Uh, and then they also then they also have, here's a really good slate at a home tournament um, in March, uh, where they welcome Ohio State, Delaware State, Mercer, and Georgia. So you get an Ohio State out of the Big Ten, Georgia out of the SEC. Coach Renee Gillespie uh, once again loading up this schedule, man. I got. <laughs> Got Iowa State, Baylor at home, Florida State at home before you even start conference play. Uh, they're at Florida in Gainesville April 19th. Uh, I mean, my goodness, this is, this is almost like what I was talking about with – we were talking about with women's soccer just loading up this schedule for uh, softball. What, uh, what stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, the home schedule is amazing. and I, you know, it, is, it, it is. It get, get is your... as brutal as it is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, with a young team, too. Uh, that's the thing. It's a very young team, uh, young in the pitching staff, young across the board. Uh, they lost 10 seniors. So, you know, but again, uh, it tells you that Coach Gillespie, he'll, she'll play anybody anywhere, anytime. And I think the exciting thing is teams are willing to play her now at home. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, the, for- that's the big change, I think, that's been, uh, sure. that's been fun to see. You got Georgia coming in for a tournament. Georgia's a women's college World Series representative last year. Baylor's coming here for a three-game series to return uh, the favor after UCF went to Baylor last year. Florida State comes here uh, for the midweek game. Bama's coming down. Ohio State's coming down. Well, Bama's in Tuscaloosa. They returning. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Which, which I had the I I was there a couple years ago at at Alabama. This is uh they run a fantastic first class tournament up there with Patrick Murphy. They play Alabama twice up there. They got Baylor. It's a tough schedule, no question about it. I mentioned Mary Nutter. That's the most premier tournament in college softball in the regular season. So, um, how many times has UCF played in that tournament? By the way, they played there last year. They played there last year for the first time. Uh, So this will be their second trip. And those that's an invitee. You're only invited if you are respected among the best in the country. So that's not a, a tournament that anybody can just get into. Yeah, so that's not that's not a uh, that's not a cupcake slate that they got there either. No, it is not. I mean and they went, you know, they played the best. They played like three World Series teams last year in that tournament. So uh the young girls are gonna learn a lot and they're gonna learn about themselves. And I think the goal is to make yourself learn what you have to work on and get yourself ready for conference. And uh, you know, it's among the best teams in the country. And you prove themselves. We haven't even mentioned the fact they're gonna go to Florida, of course. Um, Florida State comes here. Schedule. Yeah, it's amazing schedule. I mean, I would, I know it comes off as a shill, but I mean, why not buy, buy your season tickets? I mean, are you kidding me? Oh my well, goodness! What, well, what I like is they got you know, some some softball rivals coming into town in conference play. Houston yeah. comes here. Uh, USF comes here. UConn comes here. So when you get to conference play, it's going to get. It's going to get crazy, and there's a really good home conference late as well, not to mention, like we mentioned, the out-of-conference. So uh, that'll be something that we'll keep an eye on. The season starts, the opener, Friday, February 10th. All right, so as we wrap up, don't forget, folks, we, uh, Eric and I will be at the bowl game, at the AutoNation Cure Bowl uh, on Saturday, uh, covering the game. And uh, as soon as possible after the game, we're going to have some post-game reaction for you on a uh, on a sort of – Instant podcast, if you will. First time that we're actually doing that uh, here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. So uh, that should be fun. Looking forward to that. Hopefully UCF can get the win in the bowl game and finish the season above 500 and uh, head into the offseason on a winning note, Eric. Absolutely. should be fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun being in, the, being in the old Citrus Bowl again. Well, even though it's the new Citrus Bowl. But, you know, it, it, it's always good to go back there, and, uh, and it'll be fun to see Black and Gold on the field. Uh, once again, what else do you have on tap for yourself this week, Eric? 
Oof, it's going to be busy. I will be filling in on Tuck and O'Neill as the host. Jerry will be off uh, 3 to 7 on Sports Talk 1080, the team Orlando. We're also on in Gainesville and Ocala now. And yeah, uh, that's you're going to be big news, a- too, up in uh, Central Florida, yeah. you know, all throughout the uh, all throughout Lightning Alley. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. You're going to be on that show. Uh, we're going to have you on. We don't know the time yet, but uh, you'll be on during that show to preview the bowl game. And then I'll be hosting the uh, Sports Talk Florida Insider Show. 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on 1080 Orlando Saturday, a big kind of an unofficial pregame leading into the bowl game. Uh, Despina Barton from Spectrum Sports will be my special co-host, and uh, we'll have some guests. I think Jamie Say of KMG, who's going to be covered UCF, will be on, among a bunch of other people. Syracuse University graduate Jamie Say. Yeah, she's working sideline for the uh, Cure Bowl coverage of the – they have a broadcast that's sent out to a lot of people, and she'll be a part of that, so – uh, we'll talk, you know, I'll talk to her about that and among other things. And, uh, and then for you UCF fans that tune into the UCF football broadcast on the radio side, you might hear a familiar voice in there filling in for Scotty Adams. I won't say who or where or what, but, uh, y'all can figure it out. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Well, it should be, uh, it should be a fun week leading up to the bowl game. Uh, uh, don't forget that, uh, you know, like we said, it's, uh, something that we've been really, um, looking forward to, you know, I, I know that I have for quite a while. And I wanted to send off again a congratulations to uh, Alan Gooch and the crew. A bunch, you know, a bunch of guys in the UCF circle that we know for putting on this game, uh, and it should be fun. Hopefully, UCF can get a win for everyone there. And uh, for all of us here at the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, don't forget. By the way, you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon, and follow Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo. Don't forget to hit us up on Facebook and on our website blackandgoldbanneret.com where you can get email updates and subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on iTunes on uh, SoundCloud and also on Google Play Eric I'll catch you at the game looking forward to it Jeff all right and thank you for listening this has been the black and gold banneret podcast we'll catch you following the Cure Bowl on Saturday December the 17th right here at blackandgoldbanneret.com <laughs>